0: Welcome to Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever's On The Wing podcast. Buckle up and ride shotgun as we cover everything you need to know about the uplands, the habitat, the hunting, and of course,
1: your favorite bird dogs. Welcome to your rooster road trip recap edition for 2022 our montana mixed bag adventure uh that hopefully you've all tuned in and watched listened to and checked out the photo galleries at pheasantsforever.org slash rrt or slash rooster road trip they both work right or just rooster road trip.org all sorts of ways to find us um check out the videos check out the podcast check out the photo galleries Today, this episode, um, we are going to answer questions that we solicited from our Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter audiences. What you, the listener, the viewer, wanted to know about our adventure to Montana this year, the gear we used, the dogs that hunted in front of us, and just general public lands hunting questions, we're going to tackle... As many as we can on this particular episode. Joining me, the voice you've already heard, the quarterback of Rooster Road Trip, the brand new, promoted Vice President of Marketing, Andrew Vavra. Congratulations on the new title. Thank you, sir. Freshly minted. (laughs) Feels good. Uh, And uh, we also have the most talented photographer slash hunter on the planet, (laughs) <laughs> the person that can do them both uh, Our graphic design manager Logan Hinters Good to be back Bob And the the person behind The scenes, the Wizard of Oz Of Rooster Road Trip <laughs> You never know what's going to come out of my mouth When I just start talking Aaron Aaron Blackschmidt, our video production Specialist um, You know, the, Andrew and Logan Have had an opportunity to introduce Themselves to our podcast listeners um more frequently in particular the last couple episodes it's been a year since you've been on so let's give just you know your your background where you're from um your little bit of your career path and uh what you do for the organization
0: yeah thanks bob um i grew up in washington state and uh spent my 20s um doing wildland firefighting but before that you know i grew up bird hunting with my father out in eastern Washington mostly chuckers and some quail and grouse here and there um, but yeah pretty much took a break from upland hunting until I joined this crew and uh, that happened um, in the summer of 2020 um, kind of a circuitous route to get here for sure ended up working in California for a while with canoe and kayak magazine and um still heavily involved in paddle sports but yeah I like working with this crew it's definitely fun um, great group of people and you know Love seeing the bird dogs work. It's just been a blast
1: and you um so so this is this is rooster road trip number three for you, okay, and you have dramatically elevated our video production over the last and you're so the first year we were still doing it uh one week almost in real time,
0: yeah, and that was definitely um an eye opener um just to seeing you know, how that all went down. You know, I remember the first night after the first day editing in the hotel room and Andrew comes by and he looks over my shoulder and he's like, yeah, yeah, you really need to speed up your game there a little
2: <laughs> bit, buddy. <laughs> you're, you're being way too perfectionistic here. We got to, we got we to gotta get this out. <laughs> Slap some music on there and let's roll. <laughs> you know, Let's do
0: this thing. Um, and then, so, you know, after that, experience which was great um but you know we we had a roundtable discussion you afterwards notice he <laughs> says
1: this is great and he shook his head no but i'm gonna change everything yeah. it was subconscious it was he, he was shaking his head this is great no it wasn't <laughs> i'm sorry it was, it's still a blur but um
0: you know we decided to uh do more of an extended rollout and uh give our give ourselves some time to spend some time with the edits you know, and that gave us the opportunity to do some voiceover recordings, which was super effective both this year and last year. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, really dial in and find the best footage. And it also gave us time out in the field to spend more time out hunting, getting some golden hour shots in mm-hmm. the late afternoon. You know, just spending that time actually in the field to capture all the content that we wanted. And, um, i I think it it really pays dividends you can see it in the films Mm -hmm. um and in the photos you know just more time in the field more birds in the bag um it's just a better experience for everyone
2: i think that was especially important this year because i mean let's be honest it it was a grind for us Mm -hmm. yeah it was Uh, i mean the first day started out with a bang um Mm -hmm. a lot of bangs um and it was i think we had 11 birds in the bag you know we're feeling great then it was just kind of a Oh boy. Oh boy. Let's let's <laughs> let's lace up the boots. We gotta put on a lot of miles. This is gonna be a grind. So we needed every minute in the field we could get. Yeah.
1: And we, we often so the, the feedback last year uh, and this year when we've gone to you know, dropping episodes one a week has been extremely positive and makes your life <laughs> significantly better. And we always talk about the benefits of that. What what are the drawbacks? What, what, um, what was better the old way? Anything?
0: Well, you could say that it gets it one and done, mm-hmm. you know, because um, basically I've spent pretty much the month of November editing these road trip videos, mm-hmm. whereas on the old method, I probably could have spent most of November or more of November actually out hunting mm-hmm. and getting more content, you know, shooting more videos and photos. So it's a give and take for sure. Yeah. Um, and... You know, only time will tell on how we're going to do it in the future. But, you know, I think we have a pretty good model now. And, uh, you know, I can't really see it changing too much.
1: Andrew, you were shaking your head in affirmation that (laughs) this is a much heavier lift workload-wise doing it. um, One at a uh, kind of a one-episode package per week, isn't it?
2: Yeah, and it affects a lot of people behind the scenes, too. Um, you know Logan's team of designers um, our digital marketing uh, coordinator um, the I mean so we send out one email every week but we have five days worth of social content that also has to um, go out and so that that's Nate who people heard from in an earlier episode mm-hmm. so it, it kind of eats everybody's lunch and it also kind of gets in the way of the other messaging and other things that we as an organization you know value and need to promote and, and gain support for so it's it's kind of a it's a double-edged sword like Mm -hmm. it's fantastic but it is also a a lot of work i'm certainly not trying to sit here and and complain about being able to go on a a week-long you know hunting trip and then bringing that to life so don't get me wrong there but uh it it goes from a a week of no sleep kind of like our 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 hell week you know to put it in the navy seals term to um, a month-long kind of just here we go buckle up everybody stay organized like this is gonna be a you no, know, the the vast majority of our work here for for the time being, um, so. But as what Aaron, to get back to what Aaron alluded to, I, I don't see it changing. I'm just there's too much gray in my beard now. I'm getting too old. <laughs> I, I need my sleep, so it's just.
1: Yeah, the old days, you know, you know, whether we're posting photo galleries and writing captions, uh, uploading podcasts, you know, editing film, um, you know, it was. <sighs> probably to bed at one, one thirty in the morning and letting things upload overnight. Cause you're a place where you have questionable wireless. And then some States that hunting opens, you know, half hour before sunrise, um, versus other States where it, you know, opens at eight, nine or 10, depending on the legality, uh, is pretty condensed amount of time, um, when we were doing it, um, you know, one a day, uh, that, that was very dramatically different. The other thing that's been interesting to me comparing the differences, you know, when we've been posting, and I think part of this is the nature of, we were in Montana for five days and we experienced all four seasons of the year. We experienced 80 degrees, a spring-like rainstorm, a beautiful fall day, and a, like full on blizzard. Like people when I when I reshare our videos, people are like, Boy you You've been in Montana a long time. How's that trip going? I'm like, I was only there for five days. I've been home for six weeks by now. You know, um, have you guys had that that feedback where people think you've been gone the entire time?
2: Some some of the questions are definitely um, to the point of like, so where are you right now? <laughs> right. It's like. <laughs> Minneapolis? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, I mean, that does speak to, like, how different each episode was. Mm-hmm. And I, I will say it's become glaringly obvious that people love to see us suffer just based on, like, the, the metrics and views and, like, the, the shooting a lot of birds and beautiful days. Yeah, there's been a good response there. But the second, like, the weather turn for, for EP3 and then episode four, which we recently released, like, that's where you can just to see a, a, a big spike in terms of, man, People just love to see other yeah. people get, like, <laughs> get put through the ringer.
1: It, it has been interesting, particularly on the fourth episode, Aaron. Um, the amount of feedback I've received where people say, that's my favorite one. It almost uh, I, I is many that said, that's my favorite Rooster Road Trip episode ever, period.
0: Yeah, I've heard that. And, you know, it was probably one of my most favorites to edit, too. Hmm. You know, the, the visuals and just the 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 power and the energy going on, um, you know, with the weather and stuff just made for some really cool footage. And, uh, know, it was, it was a blast and I've never edited anything, you know, with that much snow in it before. Huh. And yeah, so it was, it was fun to shoot and it was definitely fun to edit. Yeah. Um, and I think there was, you know, I don't know if it's too soon to jump into a question, but someone on the thing asked, yeah. you know, would you rather hunt the first snow of the season or opening day? Mm. And I raised my hand. I want to. Sh- I want to do the first snow again. You know, <laughs> that, was, that was a blast.
1: Most well, pheasant hunters would probably say that too. First snow. Yeah. Lormen, I think this would table
0: would probably all agree to that.
2: Yeah, I would. Yep, that, that's where I'd be.
1: Yeah. Well, good transition. I'll I'll, I'll thank our sponsors, and we'll dive into those quick, uh, those listener, viewer, social media questions. Um, thanks to our partners. These six partners for bringing Rooster Road Trip to all of you, the listeners. Uh, Browning shotguns and apparel, uh, federal ammunition, Roughlin kennels, Apple Autos, uh, providers of the Rooster Road Trip truck, uh, sound gear, hearing protection, and Garmin and dog training products. Um, uh, Andrew, tell us, uh, we'll mention it twice, but uh, we got only a little bit of time left on our on our membership promotion which includes an opportunity to win a Browning shotgun tell tell us about that
2: so you have until december 9th and i i know you never want to date episodes or anything like that but if you're listening to this and it is december 9th or before make sure to go to roosterroadtrip.org and take advantage of the uh, the membership offer sign up join renew extend um, and not only will you get a Browning Heritage lockback knife, but you'll be automatically entered to win the 12-gauge Browning Satori that I touted around Montana. Um, it's a nice gun. There's a reason why I always go back to that Satori. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you, you, so so think about this way. You're, you're supporting conservation, and you might win a gun. I mean, what more do you want? Yeah. So please go to roosterroadtrip.org and check out that
1: offer roosterroadtrip.org, and um, even buy a gift membership. Tis the season. Um, Get involved um, and buy a chance for somebody else to win a gun, maybe mom, dad, brother, sister, niece, nephew, friend, uncle, landowner. Uh, Support the organization, and you can also take advantage uh, of a Quail Forever membership if you're already involved in Pheasants Forever, too. Um, But please get involved in conservation. All right, we asked... Our followers on Instagram, on Facebook, and on Twitter—what <clears throat> they were wondering about: rooster road trip, bird hunting in general, dogs, gear—you uh, name it—and uh, we've we've grabbed. There, there was a ton. I answered. I think the lines in the, the Excel document you shared was like 240. <laughs> Responses. Yeah, we're we're
2: well over 200 questions. Yeah, Um, but it is interesting how many like had overlap or or common themes. So I I did my best to kind of uh, sparse or pare things down. Don't worry, we're not going to rattle off 200 questions here. (laughs) Um, But I kind of broke things down into dog-centric questions and then just general questions. Um, So to kick things off here, why bury why bury the lead? Let's just go straight to the dog stuff. Mm. Um, That's what people love, and I think we're gonna start off with a little bit of a zinger here. Uh-oh. Which breed do you believe is best and which breed of bird dog do you prefer? Because that doesn't always have to be the same thing. Bob.
1: Oh, I get to <laughs> I get the zinger first, huh? Which breed so there's follow-up questions that I would ask that listener or that question in that person making that inquiry that would help me answer it so which breed do i think is best is determined by what kind of bird that you want to target and what the landscape is um for example so if i am a rough grouse hunter in northern minnesota i want a dog that is going to have a nose into the air rather than on the ground because rough grouse are super bumpy and you want to dog that scents the wind and doesn't encroach on a bird, which is why the quintessential bird dog breed for rough grouse country tends to be the English setter. Because nose in the air and you know tail's high, you can see it in the woods and isn't gonna bump the dog. Uh if you're hunting cattail country for pheasants, um you know in, in northern or uh, not western Minnesota or the Dakotas darn hard to beat a a Labrador Retriever or um, Golden Retriever. If you're hunting quail, you know, again, something that you don't want bumping that covey. It's going to be able to cover big ground uh, because you're kind of searching for needles in the haystack with quail sometimes um, based on landscapes that you're hunting. That's why, you know, an English pointer that's a super good bird dog athlete is chosen and, and as well English setters are really highly popular for quail so and then I know you, you, know, you already asked what's my favorite and I, I choose the Swiss army knife um, the short hair is not going to be the best out of any of those categories but is going to provide me with the um, flexibility and adaptability to hunt mm-hmm those different species across a variety of different landscapes to kind of the, the liking that I want. And I, I love pointers. I No offense to any retriever breeds out there, but there's something just magical for me that I love a dog on point. It doesn't always happen, but when it does, it's like a dopamine hit that is the best thing in the world. So that's a very long-winded answer. It's very, but very
2: PC. You, you kind of tap danced a little. Not bit. Not
1: really. I, I answered it pretty. I what mean, what
2: it, breed do you think is best? One. I don't know for pheasants. Nope. No qualifiers. Just what breed do you think is best? best I think he answered for,
1: that. Best for me is short hair.
2: So no. Best for, for me. For, so that's the bird dog you prefer. But out of all the all the breeds, which is the best? For
1: which bird?
2: No. Just which do <laughs> you think is the best? <laughs>
1: here here i'll I'll, I'll go i
2: i I think the lab is the best bird dog i think they can do it all i think you can take them right out of the box and they can hit the ground running they want they're eager to please they want to hunt with you they want to work for you they're super intelligent for me it's a lab no no qualifiers okay bob's not gonna like this but i'm gonna i'm gonna agree with you (laughs) right and and i knew logan was gonna agree with me in terms of what bird dog do i prefer now so i have a lab at home Mm -hmm. i have a french Brittany at home i think in terms of what bird dog would i prefer i'm I already know, like, because I'm projecting to the future, mm-hmm. it's, it's an American Brit. Mm-hmm. I think, in terms of the size, the lack of hair that's just filling my house, I have a nine month old at home who's like now crawling around, and the amount of lab hair that he picks up on his clothing is just like outrageous. Mm-hmm. Um, so, a lot of factors go into your own personal preference, right? Sure. Um, but those are probably my two.
3: Yeah, that's a that's a super complicated question. There's a lot <laughs> there's a lot that goes into I, that. I um, saw the like there's
1: like fourteen people asked asked that. Right. I didn't think we would tackle that question. <laughs> right off the bat. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Logan, go no, ahead. No,
3: no. I mean in the end all bird dogs are great in my opinion. Um you get into them what you you get in you get out what you put in, mm-hmm. I guess is what I'm saying. There's a lot of it. But, you know, for me, um, I've always kind of been a lab guy, so I'm going to stick with that as my my favorite. Bob made some really good points on the landscape dictating the breed. You know, I, I think I always tend to lean towards lab. Just I'm kind of a Swiss Army knife when it comes to hunting. I like to do a little bit of everything, dabble in a little bit of everything, upland, waterfall, you name it. Um, a lab kind of does that for me. I look at a lot of the properties that I hunt here in Minnesota, and it's a lot of cattails, you know, 100, 200-acre parcels. I just enjoy that that hunt with my lab. You know, if I lived in Montana, bigger landscape, um, yeah, I'd probably be more interested in in having a big running pointer. I think that's pretty dang cool to watch them cover ground, point. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of my take
0: on it. Um,
3: as far Aaron, as, you have
1: an opinion based on what you've watched?
0: There was, a, there was a quote in the film. It was episode four where I, I think Andrew was like, and sure enough, it was the lab that found the dead bird. Hmm. You know, we had we had knocked down a Hun out in this big snowfield or you know wheat field or whatever, and you know we were hunting for that dead bird for a while. And we had I don't know how many dogs out there, hmm. you know. And sure enough, it was that it was Oak, the the black lab, Erica's black lab, that the, you know that found that bird. And I think I saw I've seen that pretty frequently where it is the lab that you know <laughs> finds the dead bird. And
1: well, I'll counterpoint. Yes. That's on film that you captured, and he said the same damn thing. Uh, three years ago, I had Gitchy in the field, and a rooster, and you remember this, too, because it's on film. Rooster got knocked down by Christian Matt Christensen into the water, and, he, and Andrew says, ah, the m- time we don't have the lab in the field, and Gitchy was like- She was a baby. She kinda. was like nine months old. Yeah. And said, Get it! And she went out there and retrieved that, that rooster. That was
2: probably one of the largest kind of like cheering sessions we've ever (laughs) had as an entire group. The entire group with with bananas. Yeah. Yeah. And I
0: think it goes to Logan's point, you know, like if you're going to get a bird dog, get whatever you think is going to fit your lifestyle and the hunting environment that you're going to work in. But spend the time with that dog and train them and, you know, become a partner with, with that dog. And I've seen this over and over and over again with all the hunting shoots that I've done is that, you know, the most successful hunters are the ones that really work well with their dogs right. and know their dogs and don't put their dogs in situations that, you know, they aren't really used to and just be, be flexible on that regard as well. And, and Bob, you've done a great job training your GSPs and it's really cool to see that and, you know, and, and Gitch going after that bird that first year in 2020 and just to see how far she's come now yeah. and all the work you've continued to put with her, you know, that's just awesome to see.
1: But as you mentioned, you know the two best performing dogs this year were were probably Oak the black lab and Quill, Renee's uh, wire hair. They probably found and retrieved the most birds. Yeah. Um, so they did excellent. We didn't even mention wire hair as a Swiss Army knife, but that's an option too. Yeah, Quill um, is
0: it's really cool to see Quill grow too from yeah. from last year to this year.
1: Yeah, making big strides.
0: Big strides, yeah. And then and then Fletcher did a great job that that first day too. Right on. I mean. Hunter was all over the birds that day, and I think it had more to do than you know. No, he knew t- exactly <laughs> where they were. He could have. He could have had a, a chihuahua in front of him. <laughs>
1: no, I, I've learned that you hunt with biologists. You you just should follow them. And I made that mistake. I followed my dog. <laughs> That's
2: a very good point. If you saddle up to a biologist, you'll find birds. <laughs> yeah. All
1: right. Well, we're not gonna we're not gonna come to agreement on what this (laughs) answer is. So we'll go to question number two. How
2: about something a little safer? Uh, What do you think is the ideal amount of dog power for for you for a week-long hunt? Uh, Okay. Um,
1: Wow. I I feel like I got to qualify all of my answers. It depends on how many people, where you're hunting, and what kind of style. I I think as folks watch Rooster Road Trip, one thing that's a challenge for people running pointers is running flushers with them. You know, I you can watch episode one, um super proud of my Gitchy. I'm proud of my dogs, I'm sorry. Gitchy was on point on a um on a sharp tail, you know, midway through that and I think four dogs ran over her point and the bird flushed. And that's really really <laughs> hard for the dog trainer to keep her point solid after situations like that happen. <laughs> so I'm taking this in different days. So what's the ideal amount of how how many days did they? It's a week long hunt. Week long hunt, dog power. Um, I'd say three really dogs in really good shape rotating.
2: Yeah, I think that's that's where my head went too. It was, so thinking just me personally, ideally in the perfect world, I'd have three dogs. Mm-hmm. Realistically, I probably wouldn't want to deal with more than two at a time, mm-hmm. um, just in terms of like what's going to be fun versus just a lot of extra work. And I do just think being able to rotate two dogs is is acceptable, but where three is the first number jumps into my head is the inevitable, a dog's gonna. come up like a little banged up here and there so being able to rest one for an entire day versus half a day if you're Mm -hmm. just doing a normal rotation um that could be extremely beneficial especially in a week-long hunt Mm -hmm. um so three ideally realistically with my lifestyle probably two
1: is what i would shoot for i've had three at Certain times in my life, and it it's hard to get three dogs into one vehicle, too. <laughs> and <laughs> invariably, like I'm sort of a, of the belief, like every five years, getting a new dog that which keeps that three year rotation. But you're going to have one dog that's a veteran, one dog that's a rookie, and one dog in the prime. And but the rotation is um, critically important, Logan. What do you yeah, say?
3: yeah, I would agree with that. Um, yeah. I think for me, just if I was just going on a week long trip, you know, by myself, one other. One other hunter, um, I would want to bring two dogs for me, um, mm-hmm. I think would be ideal, just to, to keep that rotation.
2: And that's two dogs, you know, young to in their prime. Mm-hmm. So you you brought something up with your rotation. This isn't like a, a, a listener question, but I'm curious. So let's say end of day, golden hour, you have all three dogs in the, in the back of your truck. Mm-hmm. All three of them self gas in the tank. Mm-hmm. You can only put one down. Mm-hmm. Are you going to go with the veteran, the middle dog with all the juice and, mm-hmm. and, and you know, the, the brains? Or are you going to let the puppy go go and find – like knowing this is like the ideal, this is probably where you're going to find birds. Mm-hmm. Who do you put down?
1: <clears throat> um, depends on what I want to accomplish. So my tendency would be either the old dog or the young dog, depending on where they are in their lifestyle, where I am in my mindset. Um, you know, Trammel her last year, last year – she passed away about a year ago and no doubt about it I would have put the old, dog, oldest dog in at the best time just because you know the hourglass is running out of sand and you know, those are just you'll never get more of them so I would defer to the oldest dog the second choice if the old dog is you know weakened or just not ideal conditions I'd go to the young dog because you know that Bird contact is absolutely priceless. Um, so the prime dog, where you're going to have the best opportunity to put birds in the bag, is my last choice because I have different priorities, I guess, based on the other two dogs.
3: Does the, the landscape or cover type ever come into that equation when you're determining that? Like maybe one of your three dogs like works better in cattails versus... You know open prairie um it's
1: good. it 's good good question i don 't think so because it the only like if it 's cattails and my old dog it, you know i 'm thinking about Trammel. what went weak on her was her hips right mm-hmm. and her legs, so i wouldn 't put her in a situation where that just isn 't going to be the case, but I would put a young dog in any situation because they 're going to encounter any whether it 's big open prairie rain snow cattails like your dogs over the lifetime are going to encounter different scenarios so put them in um i'm more worried about like just with a window of time left on the old dog and putting the new dog on bird contacts
2: no that's 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 a a, that's a good answer that's that's something i found myself struggling with and I, i don't think there's a well, there's a lot of guilt that comes over you when you're looking at kind of like your older dog that's been with you through thick and thin, mm-hmm. it's found more birds than you can remember and just having to leave them in the kennel to give the, the young dog, like a, a shot at actual wild bird contacts, mm-hmm. which, you know, you need to have, and you know, it's probably going to happen here. It's just, uh, uh, it pulls at you a little yeah.
1: bit. Well, and that, that gives me a good reminder, you and, and Andrew and Aaron, um, unbeknownst to logan and i at least i didn't know about it you you uh put in episode one kind of a homage to Trammel and and aspen and uh, uh that meant meant a lot mm-hmm. agreed and <laughs> boy i didn't think i was gonna cry on the podcast today <laughs> no. but uh it, it, you know love of these dogs brings us in the field and um they, they just bring so much joy to our life and I think we all see that in, on our teams um, uh, you know we're co-workers but we're also friends and our dogs are part of that chemistry <laughs> and uh, you know seeing <clears throat> a couple of pups that were really important to our families and um, to this uh, trip really was touching so thank you
2: i I don't think there are there are no better ambassadors for conservation and the importance of these grassland landscapes that we love than bird dogs that yeah. brings everyone together uh, and everyone can appreciate a, a friendly wagging tail jumping out the back of a truck um so yeah the these dogs they're 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 more than just uh tools to find birds they're part of our lives they're they're our kids they're Uh, civilians of the home yeah they're they're some of the most important aspects you know of our lives in general um
1: ask another question so i don't cry anymore
2: (laughs) fair enough fair (laughs) enough bob um all right let's get back to it uh besides a general medical kit Hmm. what are some must bring items for your dog that you won't leave the house without uh or what is your favorite piece of gear to help (coughs) take care of your dog in the field Logan, what do you think? Yeah, um,
3: this one kind of goes in line with the medical kit. And I poached this idea from Renee, who was also on our trip, our North Dakota regional rep. But I thought it was a fantastic idea and something I started doing and I'm going to continue to do. But it's all your vet records. Um, Mm You know, when you're on these long road trips, a lot of times they they run over the course of a weekend. Um, And and with that, um, researching and knowing kind of where you're going and what, vets are available in the area just having that knowledge um, predetermined and then having a printout you just put it in an envelope and always carry it with your kit in your truck you always have updated medical records vet records if you get into a situation your vet is closed back home like you have what you need um you know in the case that something were to to happen yeah
2: Yeah, that's a that's a really good answer and that's a that was a a nice little kind of hint she gave all of us in terms of you guys should probably be doing this too. Um, So yeah, that's a really good reminder for everybody out there is just um, be prepared for, you know, the unfortunate events that can take place. Um, For me, it's probably the classic, um, you know, Gerber or Leatherman, the multi-tool. We had to put that to use the last day pulling uh, quills out. Um, But I think beyond that, the, the new thing that I now have everywhere it's uh, and this is what something you actually turned me on to Logan was uh, it's called a garmin temp and so it's a temperature reader um, that links up to uh, my garmin watch and so I can actually like I have that tied into the back of uh, Baxter's dog kennel and so you know in the in the summer and early fall when it's really hot I I can keep an eye on him like when we're taking like long trips to the in-laws or to the training grounds. Because um, I, I drive a truck with a topper. I don't have a fan back there. I need to get on that. Um, but it does give me a, a little peace of mind that, you know, it's it's a safe temperature back there. And, and on the flip side, you know, it's it's now winter here in Minnesota, and I'm going to be taking trips up to, you know, the, the northern border, and the dogs are coming with me. Um, so I, I just feel so much better, like, knowing that, like, okay, well, the kennel started off at 10 degrees, but, you know, the – the dog somehow warmed it up to fifty, and now now right. he's comfortable, and I don't have to like have this anxiety in the back of my mind, like oh, should I should I pull over here and just check on him? Um, that's actually been kind of like the the sneakiest uh, yeah. a thing that I've added to my arsenal as of late. That's a really
3: good one, and it, the peace of mind with that is is incredible. You know, last year, and and maybe part of that is a a crate or a kennel cover as well. know, um, yeah, I think they they work magic. You know, we we left for a late season trip to Nebraska last year and it was 18 degrees below zero when we left Minnesota and we we're super worried about the dogs in the back But we had the kennel crates they're under a topper we used that Garmin Tempe and you know I think within 20 minutes of going down the road those crates were you know they start out cold obviously but the dogs had them like you said they were warmed up to 50 55 degrees pretty comfortable for them
1: I gotta get on that I don't have one of those yet
3: yeah definitely need one
1: what I do have is probably twelve different dog vests. <laughs> um, I, you know, I've talked about it before. I lost a dog to a ruptured carotid artery in the field, and since that point, um, and I won't cry because I've already cried, <laughs> but uh, I am a hundred percent believer in dog vests. Um, that my dogs wear them, I- I- except when it's extremely hot in September in Sharp Tail Country, they wear hunting vests every time i go um ripstop doesn't matter what brand you get Cougar, silmar, Cabela's, shields, get a dog vest. Browning makes them um and it's protected my dogs not just their lives but you know some tears. Uh you know it's barbed wire, you know we've all seen the the metal rebar um you know it just waste in some of these public lands that uh, um, are, are booby traps that can cause some major damage and those vests have really really protected my my pups and that's the number one number <laughs> one question I get on social media I post a photo of my dog like what kind of vest is that like Kuga, CUGA <laughs> Silmar they're all on gun Dog supply or shields you can find them Orvis um, dog vests
2: Oh, that, that's, that's good advice. Um, okay, here, here's, a, here's another question that's specifically for you, Bob. At least I'm making it specifically for you. <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> I've heard you wax on about this in the past, and I'm just kind of curious over the years if your attitude has changed or if you're still holding strong here. Mm. Do hens and roosters give off the
1: same scent, or can dogs smell the difference? I believe they can smell the difference. Okay. Yeah. I <clears throat> there's As far as I know, there's never been a study – done but i believe that i don't believe all dogs can figure it out but as dogs become more and more seasoned i believe they can smell let's just say i don't know if it's certainly testosterone versus estrogen right but there's some chemical difference between a hen and a rooster and if a dog constantly gets rewarded with the a shot when a rooster flushes, it would stand to reason that that would be more enticing than a hen that has a different chemical makeup, um, and they would show less interest in it. And I know people are like, you're so full of shit. But I have a photo of Trammell pointing a rooster with a bobwhite quail in her mouth. So just think about that for a second. She has a bobwhite quail in her mouth, mere inches from her nose. That's got to be extremely powerful scent, right? And a completely different species of bird in the photo. She's locked up on point, and it, it, you know I know it's not hen versus um, rooster, but it's two different species. And you even think about pointing dogs that point a live bird versus chasing down a cripple they there's something that they smell like blood different something that's different between a live bird a crippled bird and um you know a dead bird that they just go right in and retrieve right so i think that again it's got to be a very small percentage of really seasoned bird dogs that can ascertain the difference between a um, rooster and a hen, but I believe that they're... I mean, I just... What was that podcast I, we listened to? I was to just going to gonna
0: bring that up, Bob. I'm 100% on your side here. I think the dog's intelligence and their ability to smell is... We don't even know yeah. like how, how deep that goes. We listened to a podcast... Malcolm Gladwell. Malcolm Gladwell did a great podcast on dogs that are trained to smell out cancers in, yeah. in different patients. Well, I'm a type
1: 1 diabetic. They can smell blood sugar.
0: Exactly. Right? The, you know, like the amount of smell intelligence or whatever you want to call mm-hmm. it is, you know, we it's a tip of the iceberg. We Humans can't even begin to comprehend what's going through that dog's brain. And And, yeah, like your dog just knows to go after the bird and they know what that bird smells like. I think you could totally t- get them to tell the difference between a rooster and a hen. The question is, do you want them
1: to <laughs> <laughs> you know? i don't know <laughs> yeah i yeah, I do <laughs> but yeah folks go go
0: go to malcolm gladwell's revisionist history podcast yeah. and and I think it's in one of the later seasons, um something about dog or something like that, but yeah, yeah. Um, we get check a it huge out.
1: amount of fine morel mushrooms too that's the other thing in my checklist.
0: I think that's probably easily doable,
1: yeah, but I don't think anybody has done i mean, I know that they. Yeah, you know, they they find um oh what are the mushrooms in the Oh in truffles? Your, truffles. Yeah. In your they use dogs to find truffles. But I don't believe anybody has successfully trained a bird dog to find morels in the States. But there's a gold mine idea there for some. <laughs> You're sitting
0: on it. That's that's an off season uh task for Gitchy. Yeah. Just get her
1: on that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Bob's sticking to his guns, they can. Mm-hmm. Um all right, let's 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 move on. So this was the uh, the mixed bag uh, adventure of our of our rooster road trip. So let's move on to the mixed bag questions. A little bit of everything, kind of thrown in here. Um, a listener from Kentucky wants to know: What are all the states each of you have hunted quail or pheasant in, <clears throat> and which has been your favorite? Logan. So I'm understanding
3: the question right, which states have I hunted both quail and pheasant in? Just, like,
2: e- just either. Just well, either. what what states have you upland hunted in and what's your favorite? Um, I've hunted in 11
3: upland states at this point. I, don't, I won't name them all, but pretty much any of the 11 states you can find pheasant or quail in and out of that I th- ooh I think my favorite I would probably go to is either going to be Montana or Nebraska.
2: Whew. All right. We, we are in lockstep, my friend. Yeah. I'm not going to rattle off all, all the States I've been lucky enough to put boots down on. Uh, but now if, if I'm listening to, you know, the voice in my head, the, the first state that came to mind was Nebraska. Um, just because of, you know, you got the open fields and waters program, you have quail, you have pheasant, um, you have a lot of opportunity. Um, but you know, when you say the word Montana, it's like, oh yeah, I love going back to Montana. Yeah. it's just, it's just, it's just totally different. Um, and it's a little bit harder to get to. Uh, but I guess if I, if I had to choose a favorite, I guess I'm going Nebraska. Which is really hard it's, to turn my back on yeah, Montana. I don't know. It's but. It, I don't know if I'm it's gonna be hard on one. Bob and make him answer questions. <laughs> I, I, I guess I'm just gonna stay in Nebraska and be done with it. You totally fell in love with the Sandhills too. Yeah. Oh yeah. I didn't even touch them, the Sandhills. Oh, yeah. Man, I'm, yeah. I'm, you're locked in. Yeah. I, I, I've got hearts in my eyes for for the Sandhills for sure. Um, <laughs> well, Bob did make a list, so we. Are, I was trying so, so, to come no, up with. Yeah. That. So we're gonna we're gonna have him rattle off where he's been. How, how many states are you up to? I think
1: I, I th- I've got 14, and I'm. Um, I don't know if I've ca- caught them all. Nevada, New Mexico, Arizona, Montana, South Dakota, North Dakota, Iowa, Minnesota, Michigan, Wisconsin, Nebraska, Kansas, Oklahoma, Texas. Oh, Georgia, oh. Ohio. I haven't been uh hunting get, in Ohio. Did you I get bet.
3: Alabama on there?
1: Shoot, I don't have Alabama. <laughs> I, yeah, I missed the southeast. Georgia, Florida? Alabama, I haven't been a f- I haven't been hunting in Florida. Mm-hmm the Carolinas, Mississippi. So I, I think I'm at 16. Got to uh, get
0: you out West too.
1: Yeah. Uh, Pacific Northwest. I haven't been, mm-hmm. I've been to Idaho fishing, but not hunting. Uh, no, they really hard question. Um, My favorite, my favorite is, I, uh, you know, hard argue with Nebraska. Minnesota, I I think is underappreciated for pheasants, um, sharpies in the northwest, rough grouse. But I'm I'm gonna go Montana. Uh, maybe not as many birds as you know North Dakota or South Dakota. But when you get that flushing rooster in the shadow or of the you know front range of the Rockies or in the Missouri breaks, you know. It, it's just hard to beat. I think about that canoe trip. Well, it was a hunting trip that turned into a canoe float down the Missouri River, and we hunted pheasants on the islands in the Missouri. Uh, it was on the uh, the flush predecessor Pheasants Forever television. That was probably the, the most amazing bird hunting trip of my life, so um, Montana.
0: Yeah, I'm with Bob on, on this one. You know, as a photographer and videographer, I'm less concerned about – the birds themselves and more into the landscapes and like what I'm seeing and the, you know, the terrain and the topography and hard to beat Montana, mm-hmm. you know, and, but I will say that, you know, if you haven't hunted in the, the Southwest, Arizona, New Mexico, like definitely check it out. I mean, mm-hmm. and it's a great January, February location, you know, when everything mm-hmm. up North is near frozen. Um, I am heading out to Oregon next week to hunt with Nate Akey, Ben Brettingen, and Chad Love. And I'm really looking forward to that as well. Um, we're going to hunt the coast range and then head out towards more of the desert side as well. So, yeah, I'm into those, uh, those beautiful vistas. I didn't get the invite on that
1: one. Yeah. We got to get the next year <laughs> where I got to go. There's go no back. llamas involved, Bob. So. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, what is the biggest challenge you have faced during this year's series? Aaron, what was, what was your biggest challenge? You know, from
0: a production standpoint, one of the biggest challenges with you know, is I always wanna stop and get more, you know, some of that scenic b roll, the landscape stuff. And, you know, we're just always moving so fast. And, you know, I'm I'm I have to resign myself to hanging my iPhone out the window to catch the sunrise as we're driving, trying to keep up with the rooster road trip truck, you know, because we have seven eight hundreds and, you know, bird dogs that are raring to go and you know that's the goal is to get out there and get birds and you know sometimes the the production goals kind of have to take a back seat or just be more run and gun and so when you see the videos you, you definitely can see that if, if you know what you're looking for so that's probably one of my my bigger challenges um but yeah and then Last year, we we did a really good job of, of having people mic'd up and getting a lot of banter back and forth. And that really elevated the production to have those conversations happening between the people, you know, whether it was Renee teasing Bob on camera or Andrew and Logan, you know, riffing about a, a thing they just saw or a shot they made, you know. and th- And that's the kind of stuff that really brings these episodes to life as opposed to just, you know, slow-mo shots over music, you know, which is which is cool, but it's nice to have that added element. It really brings the viewer more into the video. And and this year was tough. You know, we had weather to deal with and we were kind of more all over all over the place. Um some some technical issues with some of the gear we brought and you know, had to make some adjustments and um that in this year's production tended to be more about PF's mission and the the good work that our folks are doing out on the land. And that's great. And um You know, we're definitely going to keep doing voiceovers as part of these projects, I imagine, because it really is an effective tool. But basically, you kind of have to take what's what's thrown at you, you know, when you do these projects. And at the end of the day, you look at what you got, and you're like, okay, well, let's make an episode out of this. And Mm. your footage will tell you what that episode's going to be. You can't really go back and shoot anything, and then yeah, so. Make, yeah. the, make the most of it, I guess, is what I would say.
2: I, I think one of the uh, main challenges that, that you face on the production side is that c- should be glaringly obvious to the listeners right now, just in terms of how different we sound right now. You know, we, we had to record all the podcasts using just camera equipment <laughs> sitting on the middle of a table in yeah. the middle of, of a hotel room versus, you know, right now we're, we're back to the actual mm-hmm. headsets because were able to secure a cord and fix the problem so yeah
1: it took three weeks to get not uh, three hours unfortunately oh, so th- there's always something to deal with and thank you very much for solving that issue Aaron. well
0: yeah i know and i you know and i look back and i listen to it and i'm like yeah i could have done this better and i could have done that mm-hmm. better you know anyone that's an audio professional listening to this is like of course you could dummy you know? mm-hmm. <laughs> but you know in the moment you, you do the best you can and you know just be flexible try not to get too ruffled and um Just keep recording, you know, like on trips like this, you know, there's, it's easy to sit down and take a break, but you know, the more you hustle, the more shot variety you you can get is great. You know, and a big shout out to Nate Akey for, for coming in, you know, right out of the gate, brand new to the organization, you know, good thing he knows how to shoot, but you know, not much video experience, but man, just putting that camera in his hands and being like, just go guy, go get, get good stuff. And yeah, so it's really great to have, you know, a second shooter on these trips that definitely... Take some of the stress off of just one person to try to capture it all, especially when you have, you know, seven people that you're trying to cover. You know, and I can only mic up two of them. So right. who am I going to mic up? And now that person's you know off off over the horizon. And yes, yeah, sorry about that. It <laughs> wasn't you, Bob. But <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so it's a it's a thing for sure. Um, Bob, any challenges for you?
1: Um, you? You know, I there's a saying in baseball. That, Batter can squeeze the bat too tight, <laughs> 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 and uh, I find myself the last couple of years on road trip. Uh, it, this year it was the third hunt in a row I was on with a camera over my shoulder. Um, did, did an episode of the Flush, and then it did a Boundary Waters trip, and it just the added complexity of knowing that you know you got somebody. Capturing what you're doing and then being safe um, for three trips in a row. (laughs) And as you all know, I I spend a lot of time hunting alone, um, which I I just like following the dog, but also just being in my own head and just kind of unplugging. And the road trip's a different sort of um, mental exercise for me. (laughs) And sometimes, uh, you know, you on the road trip, you do have that added pressure of you got to connect on camera to make some of this stuff, you know, feel dramatic or, or bring it all full circle. Or at least I put that pressure on myself thinking about that. And when the opportunities arrive, you, you want to connect. And I think I shot four times, maybe maybe five on the entire trip. And it was like, you know, I only hit only hit Want you know so that that's a challenge.
2: Yeah, I think even in episode four, you know, you, you knocked down that rooster that came flying out of the shelter belt. And like that fist pump was so genuine, and then like Logan walks up to you to like to like give you give you give you a high five, and it's just like the world's biggest exhale. You can just see like all Bob's problems just leaving (laughs) his body.
1: Because I'm not, I mean, it's like I'm not a terrible shot. No, you're a great road trip. It's like, and I think about our very first road trip, um, like in Nebraska that year. There was a field that Trammell was on. Do you remember the Trammel Mm -hmm. was on fire, and I was absolutely dialed in and i made mean, it was just epic and but there was also no camera over we were using gopros on our heads right and then the whole world aaron comes along and puts all this stress on me <laughs> <Hey, you> no <know, laughs> at
2: least we've cut all the footage of you off uh, sliding around and falling down you know coffee. <laughs> yeah, but that, 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 that man i did fall a lot that, that hasn't year. seen the live day
0: yet <laughs> <laughs> yeah and people need to keep in mind too that you know this is a production you know and you know, you can go through some of the YouTube comments and um, they're not negative per se, but they're like, why are you hunting like that? You know, like, why are you, why are you there? You know, that kind Mm. of thing. And like, people just need to keep in mind that we're doing a lot of this for the camera Mm -hmm. and, you know, had Bob and Andrew and Logan just been out by themselves hunting, it wouldn't have really looked like this, you know? And so we, we are catering to the camera to some degree and any hunting show that you watch Mm -hmm. is going to be doing the exact same thing. So,
1: yeah. And these are wild birds, <laughs> and it, I mean it's legit. And, and there wasn't a lot of them. Yeah,
0: I mean think how many Except hens. Except on
1: on the Sharpie hunt.
0: Exactly. But think one. of how many hens we saw mm-hmm. on the in Coffee Creek and you know, Coffee Creek especially. But yeah, yeah.
1: Logan, uh,
0: I would
3: say just weather specifically the the monsoon rain day we had. Um, you know, from a a <laughs> gear stand lack of gear standpoint on my own, as my own mishap um, and soaked through the bone miserable um, to just trying to like operate a camera in those conditions is super hard. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so kudos to Aaron and Nate, you know, for being able to do what they did on that day specifically. Um, and that's where having, you know, three different lenses in the field really helps. I and mean, we all kind of help each mm-hmm. other. Compiling three cameras worth of assets into one folder really makes that day happen. You know, if it's just me running around or Aaron just running around by himself shooting on, you know, a, t- a tough weather day, it's it looks a lot different.
2: Yeah, i, I definitely double down on the weather. Um, you know, starting off, it was so warm that we had to take a break in the middle of the day because it's too hot to actually let the dogs keep going. So that just shrinks your window of opportunity to get into birds and actually capture content. And on the other end, the last day um, – you know, that was the first time I've ever had to pull Baxter out of a field, mm-hmm. um, just in terms of, like, safety. You know, he was miserable. Um, so, pe- so, people that don't know, Baxter's a, a tiny little French Brit. Um, a lot of spirit, but, uh, yeah, he was soaked. It was freezing temperatures about three, four hours into that field. It, it almost looked like he had to go to the bathroom, but, like, couldn't. Like, he was just, like, his hips were just dragging, mm-hmm. like, that, like, like, so that gets to another challenge. One of my other challenges was with a group this big, Baxter was just, he was just always like somewhere else, which which is fine. Like I'm not going to hold that against him. But um, so I finally did like get him reined in, you know, the last day. Like I took one look at him and it's just like this, this isn't right. And so we let him go down one more shelter belt, just kind of like watching him, not even looking for birds, just being like, I, how, how, is, how is he actually reacting to this environment? And we got to the end of it and I looked at you, Bob, I'm like, i've i'm not trying to be a wimp here but like i i gotta pull him Mm -hmm. like i think this this isn't okay anymore um and so like that's a challenge you're out there trying to make a series and find birds you need all all dogs all the time and it's just like sorry guys i know this is the last day but i gotta go excuse me and so like even that walk back it wasn't fun Mm -hmm. like i was like i was having like egg him on like hey let's go let's go let's go like i was getting ready just to carry him out yeah um you know he's he's fine he's warmed up in the back of the truck and everything worked out great but that's probably the first real weather related like am i pushing this too far cuz the dogs don't want to stop like he wasn't asking to go in he was still trying to like keep up with the group and do all that and so it's like you have to be able to check your own ego and make a wise decision probably before it gets to that point mm-hmm. now that i should have identified that maybe an hour earlier um so um, just a reminder to keep an eye on your dogs as we head into the late season here and temps continue to plummet. Now, dry cold is a whole different story. I think it was just that soaked to the bone, wet stuff. or it was just. And he wasn't the was only bad. dog either.
0: The dogs in general were feeling it. Dogs and humans. Yeah. So a little behind-the-scenes nugget for people there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> One of the scenes that got cut was uh, Renee carrying Quill across a creek just because he was so mm-hmm. shivering, you know, and then but we decided to cut that. But
2: right after that, Quill went on point and, you know, flushed up two hens. So you know, he was mm-hmm. still hanging in there. But Yeah, you, you'd empty. cross that creek and, like, the, their paws would then be soaked. Mm-hmm. And then, like, within you know, a minute, like, they have ice between their pads. Mm-hmm. And so, like, you could just see the dogs like, kind of doing, like, that dainty little dance, like that ouch, 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 but, like, they want to keep moving. Um, so, yeah, there's the last day was a was a riot like it was it was it was awesome and it was also just like at all at the same time like it was a it was a wide range of emotions
1: yeah. i had to sit out uh my blood sugar crashed on part of that like the mm-hmm. the whole hun sequence that was a first when we saw when i saw episode four. First time i'd ever seen that you know oak fine the bird because my blood sugar had crashed and i had to sit out and drink up gatorade to boost myself back up and I saw you guys in, you know, me, you know, that's the most famous hunt ever. Oh, it's like, well, I, that's the first time I'd saw it, you know. <laughs>
2: no, um, okay. We'll, we'll uh, start wrapping things up here just a little bit. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I think this is a good general question. What's your strategy to find birds on public land in the late season where they, you know they've been pressured? Bob, you're probably the, the most dialed in and, and find uh, birds.
1: Well, um, find the places that <laughs> don't look like a, um, you know, there's been a parade of pe- trucks in the parking lot. So you're looking for odd shaped areas. Um, I'm a believer in the bigger, the better. And I go, you know, the majority of people are going to walk the perimeters. I mean, it's just human tendency to walk a perimeter, especially if there's a, you know, harvested cornfield. Not to say that there can't be birds there, but there's probably been at least two groups walk that every single day, for sure, every weekend of the season. So I'm a believer in find a great big public wildlife area, the bigger the better, and dive into the middle. And as I always end every episode, follow the dog. You know, don't dictate where the dog's um, always going to go. You know, let, let the dog lead you to... You know, particularly if it's a seasoned dog, objective to objective, good prime habitat.
2: Logan, you've had some pretty prolific late season hunts. Yeah,
3: yeah, everything Bob said rings true to me too. Um, The only thing I'd add to that is, you know, you you look at a piece, whether it's on onyx or um, just when you pull into the parking lot. um, Think about hunting it different than everybody else would hunt it. I guess that would be my advice. You know, typically you pull into a spot and it seems like everybody goes that way. You know, maybe, maybe you're walking a half mile out of your way just to come at it from a different approach. But a lot of times I think you can catch those birds a little off guard. They get pushed a different
2: way than they've always been pushed. Do you wait a while, um, to hunt a spot if you know a group's just been through it or do you just dive right in? Um,
3: it depends on the size of the group, how many dogs, um, just walked it, I guess before I'd make that decision and how big the piece was. I mean, if if I know that there's no way they cover it all, um, yeah, I'll, I'll dive right in. If it's a small piece and they just ran six guys and six dogs through it, I'll probably go find a different piece.
1: So as a, I don't disagree with you, but on Monday, right? I, I hunted. Now, it was piece of private ground for an episode of The Flush were trampled by pheasants concept right, which Simonette and um, Travis Frank and Matt Con- So four guys, four dogs. We handed the same 120 acre property four different times, and found more birds each successive time. <laughs> there were yeah. birds coming. Now, granted, it was surrounded on two sides by a different wildlife area and one side by private land with a bunch of food plots. But there were birds dumping in all day long so just because somebody maybe is leaving a spot you have no idea how good a shape they were in how seasoned their dogs were and the time of day just simply the time of day there's don't necessarily write off a spot just because somebody else was there and i know yeah. in, no, in I, general that's... it's like yeah i'm gonna go find a different spot too but if it's uh if it's gold now or i mean it, it... There could be There's opportunity there that, that yep. they just hit it at the wrong time. Right. Yep.
2: Right on. Okay. We'll, we'll have this be the second to last question. Okay. You can't tap answer on this one, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> Too many qualifiers you for out. you, huh? If you had to pick one bird dog, one shot size, and one state to hunt for the rest of your life, hmm. what would it be?
1: Uh. Well... I'd pick a short hair. Um, I would pick Minnesota, Um, pheasants, sharpies, rough grouse, and shot size. Um, I'm going seven and a half um no doubt about it for sharpies and roughs it's a little light for pheasants but over a pointing dog um that should you know you make your shots you should be good
2: logan
3: uh dog is gonna be a lab i think i answered that earlier so i'll stick with that state uh that gets tough um one state I can only hunt the rest of my life. I know I picked Nebraska, Montana, but it'd be awfully tough to never hunt Minnesota again. So, maybe Minnesota on that. And then shot size, because I focus primarily on pheasants, um, I'm going to go five. Right on.
0: Aaron? <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I really have enjoyed seeing the sharptails over the this last year um i do think it's also the best tasting game bird out there <laughs> at least in my ex- limited experience i agree with that and um so i would probably go yeah montana you know probably sevens and um as far as the dog goes shoot i don't know i'm I'm partial to labs too you know and i think uh I think they're just fun dogs and they're versatile because i like to play in the water and you know do all the canoeing and paddleboarding and stuff like that so i would take a lab to montana with a
1: so, and you guys would both pick Sharpies as your very favorite eating yep. game birds? Yep. Would you, Tula, or where would you uh,
3: I. I think they're great, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I, I I love them. Right. I definitely love young Sharpies that are a um, little bit on the lighter side, like the darker, red, older birds, a little bit strong. I do love Sharpies. It probably wouldn't be my absolute favorite, but.
2: Yeah, I like duck. I love venison. Like, mm-hmm. I, I like some, some flavor to my meat profile. Mm-hmm. And I just think Sharpies is like that perfect balance of, oh, it doesn't just taste like chicken. right? Yeah. I, I like kind of like having that differentiation like, in like what I'm like,
1: consuming mm-hmm. and what I'm chasing. It's amazing how many people just – like I go on Sharpie trips with and they're like, you know, you can have them. They, they want me to take the Sharpies because they just don't like eating them. Oh, no. It's like they overcook them yeah
3: mm-hmm. i think that's the
2: tendency with all wild game mm-hmm. yeah. so if I, I mean aaron's right my favorite landscapes probably the sand hills or the grasslands in general like i just love getting lost you know little people in big spaces that that's what i like to imagine um but man we are just a bunch of homers on this episode my goodness yeah i'm not going away from minnesota like i love the north woods i love grouse hunting i love pheasant hunting like the state has it all and it's I don't want to say it's it's underrated because if you look at our membership roster, number of supporters, there's a lot of people mm-hmm. upland hunting in this state for sure. Um, so the one state would be Minnesota because you kind of have it all. And the only I,
1: thing it doesn't have is quail.
2: Yep, you know, yep.
1: I mean, that, I, I love that covey. You know, quail, huns, you don't have a covey rise of anything in Minnesota, and that's, that's a really big missing element. You know, whether it's Myrne's quail in Arizona or Bob's in Oklahoma – But it is a way underappreciated state nationally from a bird hunting perspective. It's underappreciated by – I mean, we work Minnesota State Fair, Game Fair, and the amount of people that come up to the booth and, I don't know, birds in Minnesota. You're you're an idiot. There
3: there are birds – You haven't tried real hard.
1: It's it's absolutely underrated. Nope, completely agree.
2: agree. And there are other states that have – like a greater variety, if you want to go the mm-hmm. slam route, stuff like that. But like, m- my heart is like torn between Northwoods and then Pheasant Country, and so Minnesota gives me all of that. Um, in terms of you know one bird dog, if I had to pick just one, I well, mean it's I, gonna I, be
1: in the American Brittany well, here. Shortly. I, well,
2: yeah, I know. Like it's it's it's, but that's still like a an unproven thing to me. So mm. like, if I just like boom, 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 one, 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 get it all done. It'd probably be the wire hair. Mm. Um, you know, we have a coworker, Brian Nestle, and his wire hair is like phenomenal wire hair. It's it has no none of the German Ger. I think they get a bad rap mm. for. Um, and so, like hunting behind that dog in the sand hills is like brought me closer to the wire hairs because I've never had a problem with them, but I just know they can come with like a bit of baggage here and there if you're mm. not, if they're not handled right. Um, so probably wire hair five shot um, in Minnesota. So. That, uh, that'd be my, my three right there. Okay. Um, and then to round things off, we got a question after another successful rooster road trip, what is in store for 2023? And we had another question that said thoughts on Iowa's, the Iowa DNR's prediction of a 15 to 20% pheasant population increase.
1: I've been hearing some good things about Iowa. You leaving cookie crumbs for I'm the listeners? Leaving, leaving <laughs> little, little
2: little hints out there. I'm, I haven't committed to anything, but uh, you know, Iowa is like one of the uh, you know most supportive states when it comes to our conservation mm-hmm. mission. I think we have a chapter
1: in every single county, almost mm-hmm. um, more chapters than any other state. in um, second most members of any other of any state Yep, and i know it gets a bad
2: rap for not having a, a ton of uh you know traditional public land um just because the, the agricultural value is so high in that mm-hmm. state um, but there are still ways to access uh you know ha- or there are still ways to hunt publicly accessible property mm-hmm. um in that state and quite successfully
1: and boy
2: quail and there are quail so just a little little hint nothing's been confirmed but for 2023 we might be sticking a little closer to home but it's where we'll, i we'll very
1: see. first hunted pheasants in my life was in iowa going full circle for you <laughs> why <Well, laughs> I, I don't hope that uh, i'm not it's dying not gonna, next i not, not gonna be the last <laughs>
2: all right i'll uh, i'll relinquish control bob i'm done i'm done putting you on the spot no
1: that was that was super fun um all right, we'll ha- we'll go around the horn. One last uh, question for everybody, a favorite moment of this year's Rooster Road Trip before we go there. Um, Want to shout out to Onyx as a uh, sponsor of On the Wing Podcast. Uh, use the code Pheasants or Quail for 20% off your membership at onyxhunt.com. And know that a portion of every sale made using those codes generates a donation back to Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever's wildlife habitat mission, leading to better habitat, more wild birds, and creating more public lands. Also, extremely important that we thank the partners that brought Rooster Road Trip to all of you and also contribute critically important dollars to our wildlife habitat mission, uh, national sponsors um, and partners of Rooster Road Trip, Browning, Federal Ammunition, Rufflin Kennels, Sound Gear, and then Apple Autos, supplier of the Ford F-150 Rooster Road Trip truck, and Garmin, um, our sponsor of all of our electronic dog training tools, And uh, the temperature tool that you mentioned earlier on the uh, uh, rooster road trip. Please check out the membership offer, roosterroadtrip.org. You can find it right on the homepage as well, pheasantsforever.org. And and the offer includes an opportunity to win a Browning Satori. Yep, so you have
2: until December 9th to go to roosterroadtrip.org. Uh, join, new, renew, or extend your pheasants forever or quail forever membership, and you'll be automatically entered to, to win
1: that satori. All right, favorite moment around the horn. A leads off the alphabet, so that's what we're gonna <laughs> go with, Aaron. <laughs> right on. So,
0: um, one of my one of my favorite moments was that first day walking up that little draw with with Hunter and. Sharp tails are just exploding all over the place, and when it gets to the point where I don't, I don't even know where to point the camera because mm. there's so many birds flying up all over the place. That's just that's awesome, you know. Mm-hmm. You just can't beat that. Um, past that though, on the last episode, and this is a huge, this isn't necessarily a great moment, but huge shout out to um, Erica and Renee for handling that situation that Oak got himself into so fast and, and just so well done. And you know, I happen with the to be porcupine. yeah, and I happen to be there with the camera um andrew was there too you know um but those girls they just they just rocked it you know that was that was so cool they they were just on it um renee whipped out her gerber tool so Mm -hmm. fast and got those quills out of uh, oak's nose before he could get him into his mouth even you know it was just like that was just really cool Mm -hmm. to see
1: and contrary to what chad harvey and i were thinking at the other side of the draw you weren't taking a selfie (laughs) (laughs) No, we weren't hanging out over there, just just shooting the breeze. Uh, Logan, your favorite moment of last year's road trip, or this year's road trip? It's last year's now, it's in the past. Last year, yeah,
3: it's past us. Um, You know what you get when you get what you don't expect? It's an adventure. Um, And I think, for me, that's what this whole thing was about. You know, anyone that knows me knows I love to adventure. Um, So that's kind of it for me, just Hmm. the adventure of it all this year.
1: Cool. Andrew? The only person that's been on every single darn one of these, and you do have a lot more gray in your beard than you did in the first one. Yeah, thanks to you guys. <laughs> <laughs> what uh, what will you remember about uh, 2022?
2: Um, you know, it's I I can give you know the, the the company speech in terms of like the overarching like goal of the road trip and hunting nothing but publicly accessible acres. You know, projects at Pheasants Forever has uh, a su- supported and brought to life and are out there for you. And that is, like, at the core of this, mm-hmm. like, what I believe in and, like, what makes this so special. Um, but I'm going to be super sel- selfish with this answer. <laughs> um, for me, it, it Aaron captured it. It's in the last episode. We're walking uh, down a, a shelter belt, and you can't even see Baxter in the shot, but Baxter's on point right at the edge. Mm-hmm. And they're just a super, super, like – tight holding bird in there. And so like I'm I'm walking up to it and I'm just like kicking this bush and like nothing's happening but like Baxter like relocates even closer into it. And so it's like okay, like continue to kick. And then it it squirted out, and then I I, I thought for a second it was a it was a rooster, so I started to yell rooster, and then I realized it wasn't, and then I panicked, and Liz was like
1: hey no nah, nah, nah. Hmm.
2: and like you could hear my my voice just completely crack, which apparently is a thing, <laughs> and then I just like my initial reaction is just to turn around, and I'm just like hmm. laughing like it was like a full belly laugh right to air, and it's like. That is the joy and the happiness and, like, the moments. Like, it was a hen. It was just a tight-holding mm-hmm. hen. It happens, right? Like, a dime a dozen. But it's, like, that feeling, that, like, just moment of excitement and glee and happiness <laughs> and just, like,
0: Baxter, good boy, you little
2: duckling. Ah! I was just, like. That's what I do it for. Yeah, like, yeah. those are like the moments that these landscapes produce. Yeah. And like, that's what you remember. It doesn't have to be getting your limit. It's just like these special little like mm-hmm. moments in time that are just going to be with you forever. You don't know why, but like, that is kind of like the tug that like wants you to let's go do it again. Yeah. And then how do we do this on a larger scale? Well, you support conservation. You, you create more opportunities for other people to have moments just like that. Um, and that's just kind of like the ultimate like culmination of the road trip in general. So that's that's my answer. Yeah.
1: Wow. Tough act to follow, because as really well said. Um, so I got four thoughts, though. Surprised. <laughs> First one's a quick one Huckleberry barbecue sauce. Huckle- uh, Huckleberry is the thing out there. Probably the thing that I I miss most about Montana <laughs> and uh, wish we would have captured on video is how good the Huckleberry barbecue sauce was at the brewery in Lewistown, Montana. Um, Hunter Van Donsel's story of connecting. The grasslands in Canada, to Montana for pronghorn habitat that ultimately benefits sharptails, huns. Um, Really proud to be part of an organization that's doing something so cool like that. So big shout out to Hunter. Uh, Coffee Creek, you know, uh, been working here 20 years, and that was very early on. Um, Something that worked with a reporter to get in, National Geographic, and to see that for the first time with my own eyes and walk on it with my own dog was great. But, so there's the lead up. <laughs> Very personal as well. Watching Gitch stand on point and get run over by all those dogs um, <laughs> and stay on point and then and then run up that hill and make the retrieve was, um, was pure joy. Um, and that's a fitting way to end <laughs> this episode of On the Wing Podcast. Please uh, go to roosterroadtrip.org. And uh, oh, last reminder, always follow that dog. Something good will rise. Thanks for listening, folks. Appreciate you joining us. Riding shotgun on this year's Rooster Road Trip.